0: Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, we are pleased to welcome one of America's great commentators, an author and satirist. P.J. O'Rourke has written 20 books on a variety of subjects, some hitting number one on the New York Times bestseller list. His newest book, which I'm holding in my hands right now, is entitled A Far Cry from the Middle, Dispatches from a Divided Land. Talk about a great title, especially perfect for the days we're in. It's my pleasure to welcome the most quoted living man in the Penguin Dictionary of Modern Humorous Quotations, a man, Jimmy Buffett, called an itinerant journalist, jester, and raconteur, P.J. O'Rourke. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. I'm I'm pleased to be here. And is it feeling a little lonely out in the middle these days?
0: <laughs> well, it's it's a. I've thought of myself as being from the middle more than a few times. And the thing I've noticed about being in the middle is that you're disliked by more people just to a lesser extent.
1: There's that, and the other thing is it makes social distancing easier because there are only about (laughs) six of us left in the whole country, as far as I can tell.
0: Well, congratulations on the book. Would you say that we have ever been more divided as Americans?
1: Well, there was 1861. (laughs) I think the answer is yes. We have been more divided. I, I, you know, uh, bad as things are and as noisy as they seem, if you consult the internet, which I recommend against, Fort Sumter is not taking any incoming. So um, uh, um,
0: things, things, things. Well, of course, that also means things could get worse. That is true. There's a lot of things that you touch on in this book and some really interesting ideas and one of them that I thought, no that's something I've never heard of. The idea that politicians should get some kind of accreditation or some type of certification.
1: We license we license the people who work in nail salons. There's something like I forget the exact number, but in like the District of Columbia, there are something like 75 different professions ranging from beautician to orthopedic surgeon that require some sort of license or board certification. And yet anyone can run for for political office.
0: Well, how did the idea start that politicians are particularly smart?
1: Yeah, uh, well, I think, you know, we had many, many, we have many, many good fortunes in the founding of our nation, but in one respect, we we we, we had bad luck, and that is that our founding fathers were, at least the ones that we know, of, know most about, brilliant men, and I think that gave us the expectation that we would continue to have brilliant men in Congress, in the White House, in our state legislatures and governorships, uh, an expectation which couldn't help but be
0: disappointed
1: simply by the odds of the thing.
0: Another thing that you go into in the book is social media. There's a quote from the book. You say, social media polarizes our politics by allowing us all, no matter how wrong we are, to find a large, enthusiastic group of people who are even wronger.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, you know, my feeling about social media is that whose bright idea was it to put every idiot in the world in touch with every other idiot? (laughs) I mean, you know, 30, 40 years ago, if you were going to be an idiot, you had to get a mimeograph machine and, you know, hand out pamphlets on the street and hold one-man one person, we should say, uh, uh, demonstrations uh, uh, carrying a uh, you know placard in front of the White House or the Capitol building, and so on. It was work to be a nut, uh, and it's uh, now it's gotten really easy.
0: It was a few years back, and I was applying for a job, and the superior Burish the thought <laughs> yeah it it was one of those things the person interviewing me the human resources person they asked me do you have a twitter feed and immediately i got nervous <laughs> do you think that yeah. social media is is harming us more than helping
1: oh absolutely you know in fact i don't see where the help would be I mean, I see where computers are helpful, and I can see, you know, I, I I confess to using Google search all the time. You know, it saves a lot of time. You know, if you're trying to figure out who played Wally and Leave It to Beaver, you know, it could, that could take hours. You know, if it weren't for Google. And of course, you know, being the kind of serious journalist I am, that's the kind of thing I want to know. And uh, uh, so, but but social media is just, uh, you know, in violation of. One fundamental re- lesson that we've tried to teach our children is not everything that runs into your mind has to pour out your mouth.
0: <laughs> very true, very true. And we, yeah, we have
1: just we have created an atmosphere of uh, of, of, of 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 a, a sort of. <sighs> hyper opinionation everybody's got an opinion about every i I go into that a little in the book that we would be better off with fewer opinions especially fewer political opinions probably including my own
0: (laughs) so what exactly got you started with this book what was the inspiration that got a, a cry from the far middle going
1: well, I think it was uh, exasperation with uh, with the way politics have been going since the beginning of the uh, of the 2016 uh, political race. You know, the race for the presidency, which began about 15 minutes after um, Obama's second inauguration, and seems to have lasted right down to the present day. So, it was that that exasperation, it was the fact that. I am at heart a libertarian, small, liber- small l libertarian. You know, not a, not a booster of the Libertarian Party necessarily, but libertarian in my general attitude toward things. And I felt that that was that kind of opinion had just been crowded out of the uh, of the marketplace of analysis. So th- those were two things. And then um, I, I, you know, in terms of the book itself, I began to realize that I'd written a lot that applied to the subject. And, you know, as a firm believer in recycling, uh, why not a book? <laughs> Authors aren't supposed to admit that. This is, <laughs> you know, I was thunderstruck by the idea of X, Y, and Z, you know, not, I had a bunch of stuff laying around. I thought I'd collect it.
0: Well, I, a publisher once, once told me fat and lazy wins the race. <laughs> Let's
1: hope that publisher is right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, as you mentioned, we are back in the election cycle. Here we are in 2020.
1: Uh, Are we ever?
0: (laughs) Now, this is what I'm sure a lot of the people tuned in are wondering. Does PJ O'Rourke have any predictions in terms of the outcome of this one?
1: Oh, sure, I definitely do, but I per- should forewarn you that I was wrong about every single primary race in in the Republicans one, particularly. I was utterly wrong about don I was wrong about Donald Trump starting about the time that he stuck his nose in finishing the skating rink in central park. Um, I've been wrong about him since about one thousand nine hundred and eighty eight in 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 general and in detail uh, about his future. And so my predictions are based on a pretty much 100% track record of, of being wrong. And, of course, I'm not alone here. You know, a lot of other people, I, I basically feel in the case of Donald Trump, that if you weren't wrong about Donald Trump, you weren't paying attention. He's just, you know, <laughs> it's sort of inconceivable to me that this man wound up in the White House. Not that I was any big fan of his opponent. At the moment, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, if I had to make a prediction, I'd say that Joe Biden wins the presidency and that the Democrats probably win a majority in the House that they don't hold on to for for very long. And the reason I say that they won't hold on to it for very long is is, I'm basing this on a, a quantitative rather than qualitative measure of Joe Biden's platform, it is 564 pages long.
0: Hmm.
1: We're all getting a flying pony. <laughs> Can't be done.
0: Well, what's missing from both of the candidates?
1: Yeah, youth and vigor, I suppose, would be one thing <laughs> that is uh, is missing uh, a, a little bit. I don't want to say ideas because, as I just pointed out, uh, Joe Biden has five hundred and sixty four pages of them. Trump, by the way, his platform is only four pages long, but it's like fifty four bullet points which manages to pack as much BS into four pages as Joe manages in 564, which is quite a feat. So, you know, one consideration you might have the polls is, do you like your BS compressed or do you like it (laughs) full and wide and, you know, handsome and, uh, and, um, uh, but where was I? (laughs) I had a point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You, you, You were asking me, Oh I was asking what was missing from both candidates. Oh what was miss what's the what, what what are they missing? Well as I pointed out it's certainly not ideas. Uh what they're missing is is an understanding that that government is it's it's a machine. It's a machine into which we pour our um our time and our money and our effort in the form of taxes or in the form of debt, as as we see, and out of the other end of which machine, we expect to see certain government goods and services. And the purpose of the machine is to run efficiently, and um, this would be a bonus, quietly. Um, and, And neither one of these guys has any sense that government exists to serve us, to serve the people. It is something we can do most things for ourselves, but we can't do everything for ourselves. And the things that we cannot do for ourselves I mean, I can pave the road right in front of my house, but I'm not very good at road paving. My house frontage isn't that long. It's not really going to help. So I look to the local government to pave my road, as do my neighbors. And so we pay the federal government, or we pay the local government our taxes and, you know, get a moderately smooth surface in front of our houses. Neither of them have any sense of this, this sort of quiet but deeply important purpose of government.
0: Hmm. We're talking with P.J. O'Rourke, his new book, A Cry from the Far Middle, Dispatches from a Divided Land. As you say there in the subtitle, Divided Land, how do you think we can be more united and less divided?
1: Probably by paying less attention to each other, you know. I mean, get out of each other's faces and leave each other alone uh, <laughs> would, would be my my prescription. You know, quit 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 putting ourselves out there on Facebook or What's Up or what or Where's Up or When's Up or whatever the the thing the choice of the day is, and just my I, 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 the two rules here both for government and for individuals, I call them the, um, the Clinton rules and the Clinton rules are mind your own business and keep your hands to yourself. Hillary, mind your own business, bill, keep your hands to yourself.
0: <laughs> when you started saying that, I thought that doesn't sound like a Clinton rule. <laughs> <laughs> the rules I <they> should abide by. <laughs> well this this might seem like a cynical question, but do you think that things are going to get better? Will it get worse?
1: I think it'll get worse before it gets better, but yes, I do think that things will get better well it's very it's very interesting about a about the United States is we have we have a lot of keel on this ship of state. We may list to the right we may list to the left. We certainly encounter a lot of storms but we 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 tend to stay. Upright, touch wood, and saying that. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, from 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 my mouth to God's ear. But uh, you know, since 1776, we have managed to endure a lot of really difficult and divisive situations, and we've come through them in one piece. And so, I I, I have faith in that. And you know, I I don't think that faith is 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 going to be shaken too badly. But do I worry? Um, about the amount of water coming over the bow, about about the stink from the bilge, about possible fires in the engine room. You betcha. Hmm.
0: This year, as as many people are social distancing, I hear different things from from different people. Some people have said this hasn't changed me that much, but I'm curious. From your perspective, has this been a particularly different year for you, or how are you coping with 2020 and COVID and all this stuff?
1: It's been a pretty normal year for me. Um, I've got this web magazine that I edit uh, called American Consequences that's uh, funded by an investment advisory company, and the bunch of us that put it out, the, my, my, my fellow editors and, and the art director and so on, we have always worked remote even when some of them were in an office in Baltimore, they were scattered around a building and communicated with each other mostly by phone and email. So it didn't really change. And then, of course, we put this out in a way that's, you know, n- n- not in a touchy-feely way, but in you know a nice social distance way on the web. So it didn't really affect me that much, except that I... I haven't been traveling for conferences and speaking engagements and stuff like that. And that actually has been a bit of a relief, but does it complicate every little aspect of life? Yes. It just adds this little, you know, slime scum of annoyance to to every little uh, ordinary day-to-day encounter. And then I've got three kids, school age kids. I've got, uh, one who's down at the university, uh, uh, University of Texas A and M, and she is basically locked in her off-campus apartment, going to all her classes online. Uh, I've got one who's at a local private high school, just a very little modest high school, and uh, which is a fortunate thing because. But he is under so many restrictions about what he can do. Actually, it even extends to me. I'm supposed to like call the boys dean if I do something like drive to Boston, you know, <laughs> or meet with people who are not members of my family and my immediate friend group or something. Uh, and then I've got a daughter who just graduated from Tulane. She had her had to have her poor kid had to have her last semester and her graduation and all that and all her parties by by Skype, you know, or Zoom. And you know, she's home. Not quite knowing what to do with herself, you know. I mean, she's virtually applying for virtual jobs, and so you know that adds. And, and we've got a uh, my wife's mother is um, is over ninety. She's in a retirement home nearby. They're under enormous number of restrictions. She can't really come in our house. Uh, we have to meet her outside. You know, it's fall in New, in, in, in New England, and so you know, pretty the weather's going to turn on us any minute. So.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I've had it with the COVID coma. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned at the introduction, I had this quote about you from Jimmy Buffett, and he's been somebody who has been doing his best to entertain people despite all of the social distancing and everything. Yes, he has. Yeah, bless his heart. I saw your name also. In the very, very first Buffett live album, you had to be there. And yeah. I'm hoping you can tell us, who is the real Jimmy Buffett? Oh, I think,
1: you know, with, with, with Jimmy, what you see is, is what you get, except that he has a surprisingly sharp business mind, as, as has been said about Jimmy. He, he's not barefoot in the boardroom. <laughs> um, he, 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 he's done very well with a career that is famously fraught you know i mean the, the whole you know being a being a popular musician is a minefield of um, all sorts of things that jimmy is too smart to go broke not pay his taxes overdose on drugs you know <laughs> break up his band every 15 minutes all the all the usual plights that that, that popular musicians are are heir to jimmy has always been very wise about but he he is in person the the the, the affable level headed and indeed fun loving you know he probably exaggerates the fun a little bit you know he's around my age so of course he does but uh, but he is a fun loving person good husband good parent he,
0: he is what you'd expect him to be there's not a, not there's not a side to him. Hmm. You know, I put all these labels on you that you're an author, a satirist. You've been called a humorist. How would you define P.J. O'Rourke?
1: Oh, gosh, I don't know. Just as a reporter, really, you know, I just stand around. And uh, actually, Jimmy, uh, years ago, I was off covering the America's Cup race when it was in Fremantle. And he was out there actually um, um, entertaining and, and, and singing uh, our, our National Cup. Song urging America to retake the cup, and um, he, he called it my phony baloney job making fun of things. <laughs> and I'll go with that, you know, phony baloney job making fun. I'm I'm a reporter who makes fun of things, and you know I don't make fun of everything. I I, I try to make fun of things that bad things that have happened because of human folly. I wouldn't go make fun of an earthquake or a volcanic eruption or the fires we're having in California and Oregon right now the the victims of these things are are, are not you know victims of their own folly no I, I like things like oh the old civil war in Lebanon back in the 80's here they had the Switzerland of um, of, uh, of they had the Switzerland of the Middle East and they decided to turn it into I don't know what you'd call it you know <laughs> the toilet of the Middle East. And they were capable of not doing that.
0: Well, we've been joined by P.J. O'Rourke. I always like to give the guest the microphone at the end. Do you have any words of wisdom before we go? Well, probably not. (laughs) But I do think, you know, I
1: really do think that we should calm down and go back to arguing with each other in an old-fashioned way, which doesn't mean that we're not going to argue. I'm I'm, I'm speaking politically here. I'm I'm, I'm staying out of family counseling. But just in a political sense, I think we should go back and screaming and yelling at each other as conservatives and liberals. And some of us have been known to to change positions depending upon the issue. You know, some of us are liberal on some issues and conservative on others. In fact, I think most of us are. We go back to these old screaming and yelling because – those are really important issues, and there's screaming and yelling to be done. We we, um, uh, we have an enormous government. It's tasked with doing an enormous amount of things. It costs an enormous amount of money, and we should argue about what it does, what it can do, what it can't do, what it should do, what it shouldn't. And by all means, let's get mad at each other, um, but, you know, within reason, within Reason let's get reasonably mad at each other. And at the end of the day, we don't have to hug or anything, but we don't need to throw stuff at each other either.
0: <laughs> I hope a lot of us can agree with that. <laughs>
1: I hope so, too.
0: <laughs> well, P.J. O'Rourke, thank you so much. I really appreciate this.
1: You're very welcome, Paul. It was a pleasure.
0: All right, sir. Until next time. Until next time.
1: bye Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scatting G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time.
1: Goodbye.